wanted to share a couple of scriptures with you before I have Holly to come up because I want you to understand what we're doing. You know, everything we do has got to have purpose because in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says, let everything be done decently and in order. And so what we're doing today is in divine order. It's God's divine order. And so... Um, in, in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who, is pro who promises faithful. How many would agree with that? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you, we meet together, or when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. So that's the purpose for doing what we're getting ready to do. Now, we talk about miracles, and sometimes we talk about them as historical, something that happened back then that God did back in the day. You know what I'm talking about? But I tell you what, I see miracles every single day. I see miracles every day. And, and to be a part in a small way of the miracle that you're getting ready to witness today has just been one of the greatest thrills of my life. To see how God has brought someone through the things that they brought this person through is nothing short of miraculous. And to see her exuberance in the way that she worships the Lord and her unbridled passion for God is just, it's stimulating. It's encouraging. It's strengthening to see how God uses this person. And I want to tell you, through all the things that this person has been through, I have never once heard her grumble. When you would ask her the question, how are you doing? She would always say, how, what would she say? I'm overcoming. I'm overcoming. And we have those trials and those tribulations and those struggles that come along. But by faith in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, she's always overcoming. And she's overcoming right now. And she's coming up here to tell you how. So I want you all to give uh, Holly Burnside a big hand as she comes and just shares the great things God's done in her life. Come, Holly. It is such a blessing to be here. I am so grateful to God to be standing before you. Um, I really want to thank Pastor Don for allowing me to share my testimony, my story. It's been a long, drawn-out process. It really has. But I want to thank my husband, Ed Burnside, and my children. And folks, it's going to be a miracle if I can get through this without crying. <laughs> Literally. And um, I want to thank my son, Matt, and Adele for being here, and Adele's friend, Brendan, who brought her up from Georgia so that she could be here for me. 
I want to thank all of you who time and time and time again have prayed for me and my family up in Ohio and my God who has never left me, who has never forsaken me. I give him all the glory. Folks, it is not me. I have done nothing but just to stand on his word and to believe him for it. And I thank God that he's alive and he's real. And folks, I'm going to tell you, when you are on death's door, the word says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy God, my God, is with me. And he comforts me. And he restores me. And he keeps me. And leads me to still waters. And restores my soul. Well, I've got a lot to say in a short time to say it. (laughs) And just to give you a quick synopsis of me. Um. This is my testimony, but I, I have a little subtitle. It says, because my Jesus is an overcomer, I can be too. And I need my Bible for it. <laughs> oh, I tell you. It is so good to be here in the house of the Lord. And I've reminded the Lord so many times that because I am called to praise and worship, and he's put a new song in my mouth. And he has delivered me out of the pit of the miry clay. That I keep telling him when I was so sick that I can't praise you from the grave. I cannot praise you from the grave. And so I had a big mouth when I was in the world. And I have a bigger mouth for Jesus. And I remember uh, my dear uh, friend up in Ohio, uh, Pastor Mark Anthony, said to me one time, he said, Holly, when's the last time that was the first time you did something for the Lord? So, folks, this is the first time that I'm doing something for the Lord. I just want to quickly read you a quick scripture. And it is Revelation 9 and 10. And it says here, So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Jesus Christ has come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Folks, he's under our feet. He is under our feet. Don't let him rear his ugly head and overcome you. He belongs under your feet. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb 
and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. It is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that gives power, that keeps us. And um, before I um, want to give you a quick synopsis of who I am. Because a lot of you know my story, but some of you don't. So I want to give you a quick synopsis of who I am. Um, I was born December the 18th. I won't tell you the year, but I, you know what, I will, because you know what, every birthday that I celebrate is victory, is victory. So I was born December the 18th, 1956, though I have a heart of a 29-year-old, and um, I'm from a native of Canton, Ohio, I lived there all my life. Until December the 18th, on my birthday of 1999, my husband was transferred down here to this beautiful state of North Carolina. Still having a hard time with the heat, but we're overcoming. (laughs) Um, My family um, is, uh, I am of uh, German and Austrian descent. My mother's parents came from Vienna, Austria. My father's family came from Warnberg, Germany, Bonn, Germany, and Hamburg. Uh, growing up, I, we spoke German fluently in the household because my grandmother couldn't speak one word of English. And folks, German is not a romantic language. You know? I remember my grandma going, Mein Kinder, ich liebe dich. I said, oh, I'm in trouble. But she was saying, my child, I love you. I said, das is good. Das is good. But um, I had the best daddy in the whole world. He was a big old German, six foot four, 250, 260 pounds, all full of love. And so it wasn't hard for me to accept a heavenly father. My mother, um, she had some problems, but um, she's with the Lord now, so is my dad. But I had the privilege of leading them to Jesus, so I know I'll see them again. I um, grew up with my dad who bought me everything. I mean, he worked two full-time jobs. He believed if you didn't work, you didn't eat. And if you wanted things in life, you had to work for them. And so I was very spoiled. The only thing my father never bought me was a real-life camel. Because I wanted a camel. And he tried to explain to me camels can't live in Ohio and they can't live in my backyard. And when I was 16, I wanted a motorcycle. And my mom threatened to divorce my dad if he bought me one. But um, I was thinking about um, how my life and what a testimony that I'm going to share with you. But when I really stopped to think about it, my whole life has been a testimony. From day one, the devil tried to kill me. From the very first breath that I took, he tried to kill me. 
Um, December the 26th of 1946, I had a brother that was born. And he was only six months gestation. And he was born premature. And he only lived just a little while. Um, my mother and father got to hold him. And then he passed away. Then my sister was born. Uh, it took him eight years to have another baby. And so my sister was born in 1954, and she developed this virus that killed my first cousin that was born six weeks before her. And so she almost died, and she's been sick since the day she's been born, literally. And so when I came out, I was ready to get in this world. I mean... My mom, I was uh, in the evening of December the 18th. I was first supposed to be a boy. Back then, they didn't have ultrasound, so they didn't have a girl's name for me. <laughs> God, you are so merciful. If I would have been a boy, my name would have been Irvin John Thomas Kessler III. <laughs> you are merciful. I told my father that that name would have to go in the grave with him. <laughs> but anyways, out, uh, 15 minutes after I arrived from the hospital, I, 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 was, I was coming into this world. And um, back then, um, they had a term called blue babies. And what it was, was the umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck. And so I arrived in this world not the color of white and pink and peachy. I came out blue. And they said that the doctors didn't think I was going to live. And they didn't think if I did live, I was going to be severely mentally retarded. Well, folks, we can discuss and debate on that. <laughs> but um, my father, I was raised Catholic. Came from, I came from a Catholic background. And my father, and one thing about the Catholic Church, they're open 24-7. Their doors are open. And my father jumped in his car, ran to, I mean, literally ran down the aisle of that Catholic church and laid prostate on that altar, beseeching God for mercy and so that his baby girl would live. So here I am. God answered his prayer. But, of course, of growing up, the devil has tried to take my life when I was 10 years old. Girls were not allowed to play baseball in recess. So I would sit and watch the boys play. I like watching boys. And so, unbeknown to me, I am very, very allergic to bee stings. And um, so this big furry bumblebee went right up my dress. Now, folks, I'm truly blonde. And... Instead of shooting away, I slapped my legs together. And, of course, it stung me. And I went into reaction. So the nurse, school nurse gave me a shot of penicillin, which I'm allergic to penicillin. Got a double whammy there, and they brought me again. I was at death's door, and I overcame. So that's, the, that's growing up. Um, when I was 16, I came down with rheumatoid or, uh, rheumatic fever, and it did damage my heart. And I went into rheumatoid arthritis, and I was paralyzed from my neck down. And I made the hospital, I was in the hospital for over a month, and I made the nurses and the doctors and the housekeepers and everything there a living hell because I was so bad. 
They gave me a wheelchair with white chairs because all my friends would run me down the aisle and lay on the brakes and we'd have, you know, 50 feet skid marks, you know. When they threatened to take my wheelchair away, I had to behave. But um, I met my husband and he's the love of my life. First thing my dad asked me when I met him was not how old is he, not how much money does he have, but is he German? (laughs) Not one drop. He's Native American. And my father had an apoplexy right there. But he learned to love Eddie, and so did my mom. Well, anyways, we are going to go now into my main testimony because that's what I'm here for, to give God all the glory. Um, in December of 2003, um, I was teaching as a teacher in an elementary school that was a state-run school. We weren't in the school system. And because of, uh, in a better way, uh, I don't know, but we didn't get paid for uh, almost four months. Being dedicated teacher to my children, my husband begged me to quit. But I couldn't do that. So we did get paid for two months. But it was right at Christmas time. And they told me that I wasn't going to get a check for Christmas. Well, my husband kind of got really mad. And he turned all red. And his eyes bugged out. And and, um, I collapsed in our kitchen. And severe chest pains and jaw. And all the classic symptoms of a heart problem. Or heart attack. And so they took me to the emergency room. They did a, a heart catheterization. I come back, and I am got, I've got the best arteries, folks. You never believe. No blockages, no nothing. Well, um, I did end up getting hired in a freight liner. That's another story in itself. And um, I collapsed at work. And um, they took me by ambulance, and my EKG was off the wall. Uh, My lungs were full fluid, and a wonderful hospital misdiagnosed me and um, said I had pneumonia because my lungs were so fluid, and I was in the hospital for four days for pneumonia and never had one classic pneumonia symptom except for a fluid in my lungs. So they kept going back to my history and saying, well, it can't be her heart because she's got the best arteries around. Folks, they never looked at my heart, just the arteries. And so when I did the stress test, passed with flying colors. And I remember the cardiologist in Salisbury told me, Mrs. Burnside, you've got a lot of problems, but your heart's the heart of a teenager. Well, that's true. I have a young heart, but not physically. So um, in November... 12, I was at Freightliner, and my lungs started filling with fluid again. And I thought, oh, gee, I can't miss any work, you know, because, you know, they really make you feel you have to really literally give your life. And so many people have going to work there. And I'm not knocking them. It's just the kind of work it is. And um, so I went to my doctor, and here my heart rate was 226 beats per minute. And it was that way for like two weeks. 
And I just thought I was stressed out and overly tired. But I remember getting out of work and literally, literally putting one leg in front of the other to get to my car. Well, I went to the doctor, and thank God for Doc uh, Dick Richards. He was a PA for Nickerson's Family Medicine. He took one look at me, and he said, you're going to the emergency room, Holly, because if you go to work tonight, because I worked midnights, you will drop dead on the assembly line. So I went to the emergency room. By God, nothing wrong with my heart because my arteries are really good. But they couldn't get my heart rate down. And they flatlined me. They basically stopped my heart to kind of like jump boot it, okay? And I wouldn't, they couldn't get my heart rate down. And it's kind of like, folks, if you have a straight drive, you know, and you drive your car in first gear and you're going 45 miles an hour all through town, guess what? That's really going to wear your engine down. And what it did, it literally lowered, it just wore my heart down to an infraction rate of 10%. Now, a regular fraction rate is between 60 to 70 percent, which is like 60 to 70 beats per minute. Mine was 10. So, needless to say, I wasn't doing so well. So, they transferred me down to Presbyterian. And I remember one, the one cardiologist who told me I had a heart of a teenager said to me, with tears running down his cheeks, he asked me to forgive him. He asked me, um, we always looked at your history with your um, heart catheterization, but we really, really never looked in your heart. They transferred down to um, Presbyterian. God bless Presbyterian Hospital. It's a great hospital. And um, I remember that um, I was uh, stage four congestive heart failure. Folks, that's the worst you can be. And my father passed away from congestive heart failure with complications of diabetes. So that was not good news. They did not expect me to survive the day. My heart just vibrated. It didn't really pump. It just vibrated. And um, I wanted to give you my diagnosis really quick. Um, Okay. Automatic. I do have an automatic cardiac uh, defibrillator implant. But my left ventricle, uh, non-compaction, which means my left ventricle is kind of just trashed. (laughs) In other words, I have chronic systolic heart failure. I have a normal heart sounds. I have cardiomegaly or whatever it is, palpitations, um, orthodromic reciprocating tachycardia, which is fast heartbeat, nonspecific abnormal cardiogram, chest pains, and uh, an extremely large enlarged heart. Well, uh, they, uh, on the 18th of uh, November, or, yes, I'm sorry, the 17th, they did a heart ablation. What they do is they go in and they burn um, the electrical pathways that have gone wayward. And basically what it was is the electrical timing in my heart just went out, out just kill, out killed her. And it was, I had so many electrical pathways just, 
going everywhere that they had to burn sections of my heart, which I had to be awake. That was fun. It was kind of loopy, but it was still, you know, it wasn't fun, really. But, um, you know, because they had to, you know, uh, after four hours doing that, my blood pressure dropped so bad that it was either we have to stop or she's going to die right here on the table. So they stopped. Well, that was on a, um, that was on actually, it was on the Friday. So it was the 16th of November, I'm sorry. But on the 18th of November, um, they stopped giving me all the IVs that keep my blood pressure, or my blood rate, heart rate, um, normal. And that whole day, I felt really agitated. And, you know, I am the most happiest-go-lucky person around, you know, and very seldom do I get agitated. I had this terrible impending feeling of doom. And that morning, two nurses came in, and, of course, me and my big mouth about Jesus, um, we started sharing, and they were Christians too. And so we talked, and we prayed a little bit, and I prayed for them. And then the head nurse, she was Asian Indian, you know, the little um, ruby in her forehead. And uh, she was very nice, but, you know, she was not a Christian. And um, she, uh, she took care of me. Well, come about 5.30 or so, I had this, this terrible feeling. And no sooner did I reach to grab the nurse's button to you know, to press the nurses. This whole army of doctors and nurses come in my room, and I had coded blue. And um, I kept hearing, code blue, code blue, in my, in my room number. I'm thinking, is that me? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so in the meat of this testimony, I just want to give God all the glory. And the Italian Satan's a liar. And so, this happened so quick, but it seemed like an eternity. And so, my heart stopped. And I was clinically dead for a few minutes. They said four and a half. Some said three. But to me, it was too long. And um, they started working on me right away. And I couldn't see anything. Everything was brown, but my eyes were wide open. I could hear everything that was going on. I even heard that they said, they, well, we lost her, your heart's getting somebody, you know, you know, the doctor's shouting out all these orders. And folks, they say that your hearing is the last sense to go, and I really believe that, because I could not feel my legs felt like a thousand pounds. I couldn't move my finger, wiggle my toes. But I laid there, and of course I couldn't breathe. And there's nothing more scary when, you can't, when you're trying to breathe and you cannot. And for those who have lung problems and have been through a life-threatening situation, it's very scary. And so I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see anything. And I kept thinking, I heard them saying that they lost me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, where's the white light? All I see is brown. Am I going to hell? I'm serious. And so 
I kept thinking, I don't see no white light. And so I kept praying in my spirit, man, because I couldn't talk. And I kept saying, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to live and not die. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to live and not die. And folks, it was a battle. It was a literal battle between me and the devil. And I heard this soft voice saying, well, Holly, you know you're going to heaven. Stop fighting. Just quit. Just stop fighting. And I knew that it was the devil. And I said, you're a liar. Shut your mouth. I'm going to live and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see the works of my God. And I'm going to not die. And so I heard them wind up the old paddles. And it literally felt like the horse kicked me in the chest. And I, I remember uh, they didn't resuscitate me. And so they did it again. They vamped it up again. And this time, they had a beat. They resuscitated me, my heart. And you would have thought it was a New Year's Eve party in my room. The doctors and the nurses were all jumping up and down, and, and they were all celebrating. And I could finally see, like, film, filming like water, like water in your eyes when you open your eyes underwater. And I could see things coming back, and I heard the nurses saying, Breathe, Mrs. Burnside, for God's sakes, breathe. <laughs> and the two nurses earlier that day, I was talking to these two young nurses. They were at the, my head, and I could hear them praying for me. And they um, finally I was able to breathe. And, you know, of course, you're talking about Jump in, try to get as much air as you can. They're saying, oh, you're, you know, don't, don't hyperventilate, you know. Just nice, slow breaths. When they finally took that thing off, my earth mask off my mouth, I screamed at the top of my lungs, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to live and not die. And thank you. Thank him. And the uh, Asian Indian nurse had tears streaming down her cheeks. And she said to me, Mrs. Bensad, your God has heard your prayer. I said to her, let me tell you about my Jesus. But uh, it's been a long, um, it's been a long time coming. And for years, um, I had also what they called cardiac death syndrome, which means my heart stopped all the time. And my insurance company would not uh, grant me a defibrillator. And my, my doctor, bless his heart, my cardiologist, He's the best cardiologist in the world, which happened to be he's nationally acclaimed. Especially his, his specialty is in congestive heart failure. God knew. God knew. It was, it was you know, he gave me the best doctor ever. And so um, he didn't really want to get to know me because he didn't really think I was going to live. And I pulled through that day. And I pulled through the next day. 
and it was weak. And now he says I'm his favorite patient. <laughs> and he will tell you that it was the Lord and not him who brought me back. But that Monday after I had my heart ablation, and this is really important, folks, I was sitting in the radiology room, and it was dark, and I was all alone. And I heard an audible voice. And I looked around, and nobody's there. I hear Holly. Holly. And I knew it was the Lord. And he said, do you want to come home? And I said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. You know that I, I, I want to be with you. But Lord, my family needs me. My husband can't find his socks or underwear in the morning. He needs me. My children needs me. I want to see my daughter graduate because she was a senior at West Bryant. I want to see her graduate from college. I want to see my children get married. I want to see my son make it in his music. I want to see, Lord willing, my grandchildren. But you know all things. So if I can, I'd like to stay. Well, here I am. In closing, I want to read you something that I just received. I had recently an echocardiogram done. And that's where they measure the heart, your infraction rate, and everything on that. Now, folks, my infraction rate for years was 20%. I was on the critical list for heart transplant. I started to improve to 25%. And so they, had, they called me uh, the first Monday in October of 2006 and said, we have a heart for you, Mrs. Burnside. Be ready to be here at 5 o'clock in the morning. Well, I prayed about it. And I was getting somewhat better. And I have kept confessing, I'm going to keep my heart. I'm going to live and not die, and I'm going to have my own heart. Because uh, as wonderful as heart transplants are, and they, they, will, you know, they will preserve your life to a certain degree. But it's basic, basically after you have your heart transplanted, if you survive the surgery, and if you survive the first year, if you're lucky, you have 10 to 15 years max. So it's basically it's a death sentence. And I just believe God... And Pastor Don has been with me from the very beginning. And he agreed with me. And Becky. And all of you who have prayed for me. And my loved ones in Ohio. And I just stood on God's promises. I stood on his promises. And I said, I'm not going to. I, I, I said, Dr. Frank, uh, I think that I'm getting better. I know I'm getting better. And um, my doctor, he's Jewish. Of course, I found out a couple years ago that my grandfather was part Jewish, Germanic Jew. So you see, I'm not only a chosen one from Jesus Christ, but I'm also one of God's people. 
So, um, but uh, my heart infraction rate went from 25% to 30%, 35%. In the meantime, I've had both hips replaced. I've had my knee replaced. I've had major back surgery where they've had to do a, what they call a, a, a vertebrae fusion where they do a cage. And I still have, by folks, I still have a lot of challenges. My heart, um, I'm, I survived a blood clot to my heart. And it's still, I've got a messed up left ventricle that they don't know why it works, but it does. We know. So I received this letter from my beloved cardiologist, who I think the world of. And it's uh, Novant Heart and Vascular Institute in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was dated June 23rd, 2014. It says, Dear Holly, good news. I reviewed your stress test result and your, infraction, your injection fraction is 54%. No uh, ischemia was noted. It was essentially a normal test. I thank him. I thank my wonderful cardiologist for loving me and believing with me because he's a Christian and he stood with me also. And for all my doctors that have um, my primary care doctor, Lloyd Nickerson, who's a Christian, who would pray with me and believe me and all of you. And I take it very seriously when someone takes the time to pray for me because that's the time you'll never get back and money can't pay for it. You know, I am the richest person in the world because money can't buy you friends. Money can't pay for people to love you. And so, I am the richest woman in Salisbury. I wanted to read you something really quick before I close because I think this is very apropos. My best friend, Bonnie Steinbach, sent me this um, symbol. It's a Hebrew symbol. And it means, I know. And it says, all the hurt and all the fears, I know them all. This trail of tears, I took each tear and made it mine. I cried with you. Each struggle time, I am aware. I know the cost of sacrifice of all that's lost to when you're down and cry in pain. Remember me. Call out my name. No better place that you can go than in my arms because I know. And in closing, just got to close with God's word here. Because we just have to do that. Um, 
Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, and the Lord will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And I'm just encouraging you that faith takes so love can give. And we stand on his word and his promises. And I, you know, there's things going on in my life, you know, that you know, I wish I could say I'm 100% well and, and, you know, challenges and stuff. But everything that God throws my way, every storm, every situation, every circumstance, I'm not alone. I've got my Lord who's holding me by his strong right hand. And I have my brothers and sisters and my family to gird me up and stand in the gap. Folks, I can't be here without your prayers because that's why I am here. Because prayer changes things. So, God, you are glorious. And whatever we go through in life, folks, just know that he's got your back. And with that, thank you.